Hey, this morning, as I, I go into the message, uh, I've, I've got a couple of things I, that I just, um, these, are, these are like, I'm just going to give you a little insight into, into Ken Kramer, into how I function and how I roll. Um, and so, uh, so, but before I do, I want to I find out, this is, this is kind of a poll, okay? This is not political. This is not a political poll. <laughs> but this is a lighthouse poll, okay? Here's the lighthouse poll. And those of you that are, that are joining us, you know, I know we have people that join us. Uh, we've got, we've got uh, partnerships and ministry in Uganda. We've got uh, other people in other states that Lighthouse is still their home church, and so they tune in. Um, so they may or may not know this. So I, maybe everybody online can't take the poll, but you can take the poll if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A in Gloucester. <laughs> if you've been to Chick-fil-A in Gloucester, here's the question. Here's the question. How many of you actually turn left out of the parking lot according to the sign, every time, raise your hand. When the sign is up, you turn left when the sign says turn right. You abide by the, but really? Yeah, well, that's not a VDOT rule. That's a Chick-fil-A rule. How many of you look and say, oh, it's clear, I'm going? Thank you. That's it. All right. I, we're, about, we're about split. It's okay. I just needed to know that. You know, I just needed to know that because <clears throat> I got called out on it the other day. Uh, a, a, dear, a, dear saint, a dear saint said, I can't believe my pastor just turned left when the sign said right. I said, well, let me interpret this. This is the spirit of the law. This is the spirit of the law that says if traffic is clear, you can turn left even though, because that's not a VDOT sign. That's a Chick-fil-A sign. Anyway. <laughs> Now I've said it publicly, I might get arrested. If I get arrested, somebody come bail me out. Um, anyway, <clears throat> you know, uh, back in, I want to say probably about April, when everything started ramping up, I really needed a mental health day. When 2020 is over, we're going to need a mental health month yes. or two or three. Something, I don't know. But uh, so I, uh, my favorite place to go when I just want to get away uh, is up in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, there is a little town called Edinburgh, and there is a gentleman there that has had a, uh, a fly shop. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, fly fishing fly fishing. You don't, they don't, he doesn't sell flies. Um, well, he does sell flies, but they're artificial. And, uh, and so uh, I, there's a guy there named Harry Murray, and Harry Murray has been there, uh, I think, 55 years, consecutive years that fly shop has been open. He's in it every day. Um, he's actually also the town pharmacist. This is kind of fascinating to me. The pharmacy is an eight-by-eight eight little uh, counter in the back, and then, uh, but you got to walk through a fly shop to get to the pharmacy. It's just cool. I love it. And uh, so Harry Murray, Murray uh, is a statesman for the East Coast and the waters of the Shenandoah and everything when it comes to fly fishing. He knows them all. He's written several books. Um, he, uh, you know, he's just a great brother in the Lord, Presbyterian brother. And, uh, and so every time I want to go get away, I go and see Harry because Harry's going to tell me where the fish are biting, uh, how fast the water's moving, how clear it is. He's going to tell you everything you need and then sell you stuff that you probably don't need. And then I'll walk out, you know, and Holly always knows whenever I'm going uh, to get away way for mental health day, I'm going to stand in a river and I'm going to let the water flow around me and all my stress just goes away. Hallelujah. Some people in the world, some people really, really, really are all about the rules, all about the laws, all about structure. Man-made stuff makes them feel calm. I'm the other way. 
I have to get in nature in order to, you know, in order to relax. You know, I, I like being around people to a point. But then I got to go somewhere where God made stuff. And I don't have to look at man-made stuff. And I just look at what God made and I relax. Does that, anybody, anybody here, does that work for you? And, uh, and so... So one of those things, it's just kind of a in my nature kind of thing, and I didn't really always discover it, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you know another little clue. So a number of years ago, we used to, we were doing regular um, uh, trips to Uganda to do a pastor's conference every year, and uh, we did it about five or six years running, and, and every time I would finish up a pastor's conference, one of the things that we always did was, was that we would take a, a safari. We'd spend a, a day, two days and a night um, in a safari lodge in the Queen Elizabeth National Game Park, and and so it's uh, it sounds expensive. It's really not, and uh, so we would we would go, and, and uh, so we, we moved around. We had a couple of different lodges that we went to. One of them was Jukunda Lodge, and uh, I I actually happened to go on this trip with uh, uh, Mark and Pam Morrow from Crosswalk over in Williamsburg. They were there at the conference. So we loaded up in this uh, land cruiser uh, that we had a driver, and the driver starts taking us out to Jukunda Lodge. Now, we're on our way to Jukunda Lodge, and it's about 12 miles down this little two-track that's, that's, you know, jungle all around you, and it's a little two-track. It's like just going into some kind of movie. I mean, it's just crazy how, how cramped it is. And this is the driveway into Jacunda Lodge. And so we get uh, a number of miles in there, and then there's a tree that an elephant has knocked down. And it's across the road. And so we stop. We're like, huh, didn't see a chainsaw. What are we going to do? And so the driver, you know, I mean, this is a little guy from Uganda. He's not bothered at all by this thing. He just throws it in reverse, backs up about 20 feet, looks up the hill. Oh, there is a village up here on the top of the hill. We will go there, and there's a pathway back into the lodge. And he just puts it in first gear, throws it in low range, and goes straight up the hill. Straight up. There, it's, it's not a road. It's a, maybe a path, if it could qualify as a path. You know, normally you'd be like machetes hacking away at the vegetation. We, we started climbing. We climbed for probably 10 or 15 minutes, and then I noticed there's a cliff off the side. So we're driving, and I'm on that side, and it's like, whoa. And we're just driving and driving and driving. We finally make it into this village and, and go down between two thatched huts, and now we're back on a, a, a trail that takes us to the lodge. And we get there, and I'm like, man, that was, it was an adrenaline rush. It's a little scary. How many of you uh, have ever been uh, on a cliff, near a cliff, somebody else is driving? There's just something about somebody else driving while you're in danger. That's a little edgy, right? And so anyway, um, after that, I always had this, man, I just love being able to go places where other people can't go. So I bought a Land Cruiser. It's, I got a picture right here. And uh, so uh, probably about two weeks ago, I was up in uh, the Shenandoah again. Can I have my Land Cruiser picture? Um, I was up in uh, the Shenandoah, and there was this four-wheel drive road that I wanted to go on in April, and it wasn't open. And uh, so, uh, I, so I made my way back up, did my obligatory pilgrimage to uh, Edinburgh, went to Harry Murray's shop, and then I decided I was going to go camp, uh, and there was this, uh, this campground that was no cell service, no anything service, um, you know, and it was just up there, but it was right at the mouth of this uh, Peters Mill Run four-wheel drive road. And so the, the Land Cruisers got a little sleeping platform in it and so I was I was sleeping in that didn't have to pinch uh, 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 pitch a tent or anything and so I, I ended up 
waking up very early in the morning because the, the firewood I had was wet and it wouldn't burn. So I went to bed earlier than I normally do, which was like 7.30, 8 o'clock, something like that. And I wake up early in the morning. It's like before dark and I wait around or dusk or dawn rather. I wait around till the sun just starts to come up. And then it hits me as I'm driving into this four-wheel drive road. Now they said it's, it's like almost, uh, it's like 7.6 miles long. It takes two hours. It's two hours to go 7.6 miles. I'm like, what's that about? I'm going to go find out. But it occurs to me after I'm picking my way over these boulders, there's a lot of rock crawling, a lot of straight up the hills, all this kind of stuff. It occurs to me, there's no self-service. Huh. I'm out here by myself. Huh. What could happen? Hmm. Just keep going. Just keep going. And it took me a literal two hours and about 10 minutes uh, to, to make the whole thing. And the, the picture doesn't really show any dimension, but that Land Cruiser, 1997, 320,000 miles on it, by the way. Um, and the original motor, original transmission, it's just, a, it's just a, a, a beefy thing. It likes to go where nobody goes. Huh. Come on, guys. You know, you know the statistic is about 80% of your four-wheel drives never go off-road. Huh. So anyway, um, why am I sharing all that? Because there's something about going places where nobody else has gone that you have to learn to rely on things you normally wouldn't rely on because you're, you're now, uh, again, no cell signals, no data signals, just out there. What are you going to trust in? What are you going to rely on? And so we're going to talk today about uh, the man Moses. And over the next 10 weeks, we're going to do a series. We're starting a series today called Worship Unmasked. And I want to I launch us into an understanding of worship that doesn't get talked about a whole lot, but I think is really at the core of the heart of God as it relates to worship. And Moses is going to be our leader for the first portion of it. If you think about it, uh, Moses took a people that was not a people and brought them out and brought them into a discovery of the living God and who they were as a people. How brilliant was Moses? Think about Moses for a minute. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Moses, uh, who created, uh, with, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, created a legal system that is used in all of the strongest nations of the world today. Moses, who is in charge of the sanitation system of an entire two million uh, people in the community. Moses, who uh, established really a, a furniture design industry through the, the tabernacle. Moses, who, was a, who had the, the recipe of a, of a fragrance, a perfumer that was established, metallurgy. Um, all of these things come to Moses, right? So many, so many different things. So the legal system, the health department, um, you think about the, the worship system that God uh, gave Moses that was established, uh, the priesthood, the, all, all of the ceremonial laws, all of that funnels through one man who goes up on a mountain uh, after God takes them through the Red Sea, right? God takes uh, his people and, uh, and he uh, strategically dismantles a, a worship system of idolatry in Egypt and shows that the living God is greater than all of these ten things that God dismantles through the plagues. And then he brings them out. Even the plague of the firstborn is a strike directly against Pharaoh who's, who was worshipped as God. 
And he was saying, uh, God was saying to Pharaoh, you can't keep your son alive. You, you let my people go so that they may worship me on this mountain. And so the children of Israel, what do they do? They take the, the blood of a lamb and they uh, put it on the doorposts and the, the lintel of the, uh, the dwelling that they lived in. And they pass through. That was the Passover. They come out on the other side. Think about it. A slave people who never had their own holidays. A slave people who never had a day to themselves that they could say, this is who we are. You know, our holidays in America, you know, we can, it, you don't really realize this until you go to another country and they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. You go to another country and they don't, if they're, it, it, you know, they don't celebrate the 4th of July. They don't celebrate the days that we celebrate. How many of you noticed in your Google calendar or whatever the case may be, holidays showing up and you're saying, what's a holiday? Have you noticed that? There's a lot of, a lot of uh, Islamic holidays showing up on, uh, on digital calendars these days. I'm not here to make a comment about that. I'm just saying, huh, look at that. Israel didn't have their own holidays. They, they, didn't, they couldn't trace their lineage back any farther uh, than Egypt because Egypt wouldn't allow them to celebrate those. And then they come through the Red Sea and God says, now you are my people. You are my people because you were birthed out of obedience. They came through the Red Sea on dry ground. They were literally baptized. They were baptized as they came through the Red Sea. God says, you are mine. The blood had been applied and they were baptized. And so they come out on the other side. And it's interesting to me that it only took them three months. It took Moses. Moses went, made a couple of trips up the mountain, right? And so 90 days, 80 days, Moses is fasting. And he goes up on the mountain and God gives him the blueprint for what he wants to do. And so he comes back down. And so it took him three months to get the law. But the next nine months are spent establishing the tabernacle, establishing the priesthood where they're going to approach God, establishing the entire worship system. Wow, what a guy, this Moses. So today, um, we're going to, let's do this. Let's stand this morning and we're going to read the word together. It's not a lot of uh, reading, but it's important for us, I think, to get a hold of it. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this, uh, this idea of worshiping on mass. You ready? Exodus 33, let's read together. Then Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you can stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Romans chapter 3. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are just Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for reading with me. You can be seated.
You know, God always intended for man to have a face-to-face encounter with him. And Moses lived out this New Testament reality uh, to some degree in the Old Testament. So Moses would go up, and he would go up, and face-to-face, he would converse with the Lord. Now, there are several things that happen that we're going to get into, but let's talk about Moses' name. I love Jason's message last week, didn't you, as, as he was talking about the name Moses being to draw out or to extract. And so Moses was the guy that was drawn out of the water as a baby, and that's where he got his name. But then God uses him to draw Israel out of Egypt, and then over a 40-year lifespan in the wilderness to extract or to draw out Egypt out of the Israelites. But did you ever think that God used Moses to draw out a revelation that he wanted to be seen in the world, a revelation of his glory. You don't find anybody else but Moses coming to God and saying, God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And, you know, imagine, you know, that God obviously knew this because this is his man that he makes, but God knows what's in Moses' heart, and he already makes provision for how he's going to do it. He's going to show Moses' glory, and, and so he tells him to, you know, come over here to this rock, and I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and my glory will pass by you. But that's a pattern. Everything that happens in Moses' life is a pattern that you and I have the reality of. It's a shadow that God gave us the substance of in the person of Jesus Christ. So in your notes, number one, Moses' life was lived in the wilderness, but his heart was for the God of the garden. He wanted to live in the face of God. He wanted the transformation that God's glory could bring. There's something on the inside of every human being that only God can fill. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And usually the lack of glory causes a certain symptoms to happen in a human being. Those symptoms look like, man, there's got to be more. There's a constant unrest on the inside. The law of diminishing returns kicks in. You think, man, if when I buy this thing, this thing is going to make me happy. And you go buy that thing, and then you're, you get it home, and you say, man, I'm not any happier than the moment I bought it. The buzz that you got as soon as you bought it is buyer's remorse kicks in. Man, why did I spend all that money on that thing? It can't make you happy. Things don't make us happy. Things that we can buy, things that we can do. There, there is this law of diminishing returns. The first time you get it, you get a hit from it. You get a buzz. Every time after that, you can't repeat that hit. You got to do more. I got to spend more. I got to be more. I got to have more. And it's never enough. Where does that come from? How do you get off that crazy cycle? How do you get out of that? The glory of God. There's something about the presence of God that when we encounter the glory of God, we say, ah, this is what life is about. This gives life meaning. This is the reality. It's, 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 there's just something about being in the presence of the Lord that causes everything, all of our levels to begin to shift around and say, man, now I get it. Now I experience it. Now I understand. And so it's the glory of the Lord. But the Bible tells us that we have this human condition that falls short of the glory of God constantly. So don't go seeking the glory of God in stuff. Don't don't go seeking the glory of God in a career or a relationship or a bottle. Don't go seeking the more in the stuff because you'll never find enough stuff. 
It's only in the presence of God. And this is what Moses understood. Can you imagine? Out here with two million, uh, two million Jews, and he's in a wilderness. There's no roads. There's no maps. There's no, there, there's no uh, get up in the morning and do this, and you got this job, you got this thing. He, he has the care and the shepherding of a couple of million people. People are looking to him for leadership, and so what does he do? He goes to the tent of meeting. Now, something fascinating happens in the tent of meeting. Because when he meets with God, God's giving him instructions. He's giving him a download. He's giving him the blueprint for the things that he needs to do. And while he's there, he, he takes on some of the glory that takes place. It hits his physical body and he glows in the dark. I don't get it, but the Bible says that the people were so alarmed by it that they would go hide. As soon as Moses would start to walk through the camp, here's the glowing leader, and they would get freaked out by it. And, and so Moses got in the habit of putting on a veil. And the Bible doesn't tell us that God told him to, but this is what Moses does. He puts on a veil, and, and you know, somehow or another, and uh, Paul points this out in Corinthians, somehow or another, that, uh, that the glory doesn't last. Like, it's a battery, and it, and it depletes, and so he has to get recharged to go back in the, he goes back in the, the, the presence of the Lord in the tent of meeting. He recharges, but then the glory fades throughout the day. The glory fades. The glory fades. Glory fades. Glory fades. And after a while, the people, uh, Moses doesn't take the veil off. He leaves the mask on because he doesn't want them to know. Is this the leader with glory or is this the faded leader? Which one, do, which one is it? Is this the, have you just come fresh from the presence or are you just walking around in the flesh? So Moses just leaves on the mask right? And so this is his habit. And so, uh, but his desire was for the glory of God. So Moses, number two in your notes, Moses's desire went beyond the how, uh, how should I live according to the rules to whose am I? Whose am I? He wanted the glory. He wanted the substance of who God was. It wasn't enough for him to just know right from wrong. It wasn't enough for him to just, you know, get those Ten Commandments and, and stand there and be that lawgiver. We know, we know Moses as the lawgiver, but we don't really see him as the glory seeker. But he's the glory seeker who happened to bring the law. Now, what was the purpose behind that? You know, Moses would meet with God by himself and then come back and tell them what God said. They, they had no heart for relationship. They were still wandering slaves, even though they were free, even though the, the, the slave masters were gone, the, Egyptian, or the uh, Israelites were still slaves in their mind. They were slaves in their heart. They were like, we like the rules. We, we like people telling us what to do. We like having everything mapped out for us. We don't have to think about it. We just know we have to get up and go to work every day. And, and they didn't listen to what was going on in their hearts. There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. Why? Because Egypt was still in their hearts. I was at this place in my life, and maybe you have been too, when you found a particular place of frustration and you just said, I wish somebody would tell me what to do right now. Anybody? I wish I knew what I was supposed to do. I wish somebody would just tell me what to do and I would do it. That's a dangerous place to be. Because your father, your father 
knows what you need before you ask. And your father knows what tomorrow holds. And your father wants to be your counselor. And he wants to talk to you about your life and your situation and your circumstance. You can't get it from a formula. You can't get it from somebody that's just smarter than you. you got to go to the ancient of days. Fresh, firm, firsthand, tent of meeting, glory of God. You weren't there, I was. This is what God said to do. Are you with me? So you and I have to fight this idea of just give me the rules, just give me the formula. Let me tell you, formulas make me nervous, more nervous the older I get. When when people say, I got all the answers. Nah, you might have your answers, but I've got to go to God, so you can't take my place there. You can't take my place living in the face of God. You can't take my place seeking the Lord. You can't take my place. Why? Because God knows who Ken Kramer is, and God knows what, what Jesus looks like in, Kramer, in Ken Kramer and who Ken Kramer is supposed to be f- fulfilling the will of God. Only God can do that. Only me standing before the Lord. Only the Lord doing his work in me. That's, that's what's got to happen. That's what's got to happen in you. That's why we have to worship unmasked. Because the transformation needs to take place on the inside of us. The problem was not that uh, Israel was out of Egypt. The problem was God couldn't get Egypt out of Israel. The problem is not that, uh, that God hasn't saved you. God has saved you, but stop operating like an unsaved person. Stop operating like a person who has no identity with the heavenly father. Stop acting like God isn't looking after you to take care of you. Stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Stop stressing out about stuff. You've got a father. And he knows where you're at. And he knows what you need. So go to him. And say, Lord, I know there's more. I know there's more. How do you know there's more? Because there's frustration in your soul. There's this pattern that, that God takes Moses from. From this place of frustration. He moves him from frustration to glory. He moves him from, I don't have the answers, to in the, the, the answer is not a what, but a who. And the only way I can live this out is, is, is by living in right relationship with the who, with the person I need to be walking with. Number three, Moses' revelation is the foundation of the law, which articulates, think about this, this art, the, the law articulates the impossibility of pleasing God without God's own intervention. The tabernacle system, the priesthood, and the 40-year journey were all elements designed to produce both the pattern and frustration of staying near to God, yet without relationship. This is a, this is a paradox, so follow me closely, and I'll try to break it down for you. This is what Paul says in Galatians. He said, the law, the law produced frustration. The pattern was there the whole time. This is what righteousness looks like. And the only way the people could get it was if they would slay animals that they cared for, that they looked after. They would kill the animals, and the blood would be applied on their behalf. These were fellowship offerings. These were sin offerings. They were there to make atonement. The problem was it didn't change the consciences of the people who sinned. They could confess their sins over an animal, and the animal would be killed on their behalf, but their conscience didn't change. It was just a reminder, you fell short. You fell short. You fell short. You fell short. You broke the rules. You're not living how you ought to live. And, and on and on and on. It was, it was designed by God to bring this frustration 
preparation for a day when they would look forward to the one who would be the sin bearer, the one who would take it all away, the one who could really establish a covenant before God so that we could stand in that righteousness. But instead, the law just brought frustration. Only God could bring the intervention. Only God could do it. And so the reality that Moses brings out is, here's, here's the man Moses, the lawgiver, who's in his heart saying, show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. Show me how you do this. Fast forward into the New Testament. We have Jesus in, in John chapter 17 saying, saying, I have revealed your glory to them. And they, will, they have glorified me, Father, and they're going to glorify you. See, God made a covenant with a man, Jesus Christ. Let me mess with your theology for a minute. A lot of times we think we have a covenant with God. We don't. Jesus does. Can I tell you why that's better? If I, if I told you for a minute, uh, if I told you, if I got up here on a Sunday morning and I preached uh, a message, you know, we've had the, we've had the wettest uh, summer in uh, like history, right? For, you know, lots and lots and lots of rain. What if I got up in the midst of a thunderstorm and said, God is going to judge Gloucester County by rain. He's going to flood this place out. Right now, Cambodia would believe me if I preached it. And the judgment of God is coming from a flood. And how many of you would sit back and say, no, that ain't going to happen. Why would you say that? Because of the rainbow in the sky that God made a, uh, gave a word to a man named Noah, never again will I judge the earth by a flood, right? So you're not Noah, and I'm not God. But God made a covenant with a man, and that covenant is established, and it can't be tampered with. So we know, even if you look into the book of Revelation, that there are, there's a lot of judgment that comes on the earth, but it's not by a flood. Because God said, I made a covenant with Noah, never going to happen again. Here's the good news. How's that relate today? Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus, uh, who, who uh, took on the form of a man, fully God, fully man, he lived a righteous life, he died, and he took the burden and weight and penalty of sin off of you and I, and he did it all on our behalf, so that you and I who could never live a righteous life, no matter how hard we tried, because we were born wrong the first time. We have sin in our DNA. And because Jesus did what he did, uh, he, he has this, he established for us a covenant that's with God. Let me, let me uh, make it a little bit, I, I see the question marks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resolve some of those. Imagine you had a very, very wealthy uncle. And your very, very wealthy uncle didn't have anybody else in the family that could, uh, that could be a beneficiary of his estate. And so he put your name in the bottom line on the, on the will. And so when your very, very rich uncle dies, guess what? It's like the lottery, only better. Only better. 
because you become the recipient of what this man did in his life. He lived his life. He made his money. You may not have liked him. You may not have ever gone around his house. You may not have ever said hi. You may not have sent him a Christmas card. But when he died, he transferred all of his assets to you. And all you had to do was be the name on the piece of paper that you were on. Think about that. What can you say now about Uncle Bill? Are you going to call him bad names? You're just going to be like every day when you wake up and you look at your bank account, you're going to be like, yes, thank you. He's not even there that you can thank, but you're now, you've got gratitude because why? Because he gave you, he gave you what you needed for life to live on financially. Right? The covenant we have with God was ratified by the blood of Jesus. And the only thing that we have to add to it is our gratitude and our commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. You can't add anything to it. If you could break the covenant, it would have been broken five minutes after you said yes to Jesus. But because the covenant is between God and Jesus, it's unbreakable. All you and I can do works-wise is say, I believe. I believe. I believe that's for me. I believe that that belongs to me. And see, see, where churches get it wrong is we make it all about works. You know, what's, what's the way to, how, how do I get to heaven? Turn right and stay straight. <laughs> right? I mean, well, you got it. You know, you got I'm not, I'm not implying that we shouldn't be holy, but I'm saying we can't make ourselves holy. The only way we get holy is by recognizing that we've got that same DNA that God gave him by the blood of Jesus that's been applied to our lives. His holiness comes to us. It's not a, it's not a command, be holy, for I am holy. It's, it's a, a practical reality of the fact that God's DNA is on the inside. It's like me saying to my kids, be a Kramer, for I am a Kramer. <laughs> They got no choice. They're stuck with this big snoz. They're, they're, they're stuck with the family heirlooms. They're stuck with it. They have no choice. Why? Because we're family. You've got a heavenly father who made a way that you had access to the throne of grace. Not because you did something right. Not because you did something wrong. But because you believe in Jesus Christ. Why is that important to worship, Pastor Ken? Because if you think that God is happy with you because you got all gold, gold stars on your Sunday school card, because you didn't cuss somebody out this week, God is happy with you. Because you didn't cheat on your taxes, God's happy with me. And the only way you worship is feel like you checked all the boxes right then your worship is wrong. You don't worship because you're worthy. You worship because he's worthy. And you'll never be changed into his likeness until you worship. See, the problem is, see the catch-22 there? Well, I don't feel like I'm worthy. So you don't worship. But the only way you get more like him is through worship. 
The only way you're changed into his likeness is to approach him and let his glory touch you and change you into his likeness. And so the devil works overtime to condemn you. You'll never, you can't, look at what you did, look at those, what those people are doing, look at what they're saying about you. I'm unworthy. That's the point of the gospel. He's worthy. And so when we come after him, we come after him, there's a change. Notice here with me, yeah, I'm gonna, we're going to go quickly now, point number four. Here's the thing I want you to get a hold of. This is where we've been building this morning. Moses' veil is a parable of hidden glory. It's a picture of the veil in the temple that's torn from top to bottom, found in Matthew 27, 51. You know the story how Jesus is on the, uh, is on the uh, mountain and, the, and he's being crucified. And as he is crucified, the Bible says that at the same time, there were things happening in a cosmic fashion. And one of those things was the, the veil, this thick drape that hung between the Holy of Holies and the outer court, that veil was torn from top to bottom. There was no light that could pass between those things. That thing was completely hidden. And in the, the high priest was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies and the only one that could go in there, and he had to go in with blood. And, uh, and it only happened once a year on the Day of Atonement. So many, so many things that picture this. But at that moment, the Bible says, when Jesus died, the veil is torn in two from top to bottom that was that itself that miracle would have been very very difficult this was a heavily woven fabric but it tears from top to bottom in that moment when Jesus is crucified that's a picture of the day of atonement being established in that moment that's a picture of the fact that we have access to the holy of holies but that's also a picture of the fact that God got out (laughs) not only could man get in but God got out God says, I'm not living according to the old dictates. I'm not living according to my old framework. I'm not going to allow my presence to just be a localized thing. I'm going to make my presence available to everybody. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that the veil is actually Jesus' body, which is now a new and living way by which we approach God. book of Hebrews tells us the veil of his flesh The veil of his flesh. Think about it. Jesus, fully God and fully man. And the glory of God contained in human form. All the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. All the fullness of God. And when Jesus is on the cross, that veil is torn. And we have access to the Father through him. Can I just tell you, if, if, if you just want to have those arguments about religion and say, well, you know, Islam says this, and Hinduism says this, and Buddhism says this, none of them say this, <laughs> that you have access to the Father through the Son, and that the glory of God inhabits mankind through, through the ability that we have to approach the throne of grace with confidence and find help in our time of need. I think the greatest sin that you and I uh, have is a sin of omission, not of commission. We omit a lifestyle of worship that allows the glory of the Lord to come on our lives. 
and to change us into his likeness. We omit that. We, we, we think somehow that it's this old framework that I got to live a certain way. I got to act a certain way. I got to, you know what? I, I love being around people that are non-religious but love Jesus. There is nothing more refreshing than being around somebody that says, you know, it ain't about rules. It's about Jesus, right? Can we stand this morning? I hope that over the next 10 weeks that we discover a hunger and a thirst for God's glory. That we would have a hunger and a thirst for God's glory. That God would wake that up on the inside of us. Moses was going without knowing. He, was, he didn't know uh, what, what the next step was going to take. But he said, God, unless you go with me, I don't want to go. Unless you go with us into this day, into this journey, into this venture, I don't want to go. I'm going to stay right here. And Moses drew out of God this understanding of glory. God's looking for glory seekers, not for self. Not that I can say, whoo, look at me. In fact, people who are saying, look at me, don't really know what the glory is about. Because that's pride. And God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You get around people who it's all about them, they haven't encountered the glory of the Lord. Moses knew the glory, and that's why God could say of him, Moses was the meekest man. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Why? Because he knew the glory of God. He knew the glory of God. Can we just bow our heads right now? Lord, we recognize that the glory of God is in the face of Jesus. And that you took the sin problem out of the way. Lord, that when you went to the cross, you nailed the sin. You nailed the penalty of sin. You nailed the the old nature to the cross. And when you died, that provision made available to us access to the presence of the Father from then on. It's your promise, Lord. Your promise, your word declares, Lord God, it's through the promises of God that we have, uh, we become partakers of the divine nature. And Lord, part of the divine nature is the glory of God. And though while our flesh has fallen short, you have restored it in the person of Jesus. God, I pray that over the coming weeks, Lord, that we would be seekers of your glory on our lives. Not so that we could boast, but in fact so that we can. That we would ask you to reestablish your glory in our homes, your substance in our homes. Reestablish your glory, Lord, in our workplaces. Reestablish your glory in our classrooms. Reestablish your glory in our marriages and our families, God. Lord, we want the substance. We want the real thing. We don't want something that's a fabrication. We don't want something that we've made up. We don't want something that's found here on earth. We want it to flow from heaven. We want to see your glory the substance that you have made us to walk in, God. Father, in the name of Jesus, one more time we apply the blood. One more time we give thanks. Come on, thank him right now. Can you just thank him for his sacrifice? Can you thank him for the covenant? Lord, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I could add nothing to it. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, God. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would roll back the unbelief in my heart, God. Let faith rise in this room, God. Let faith rise. The faith in the name of Jesus. Faith in the power of God. Faith in the promises of God. Faith that God created me to walk in his glory. Faith that there's something more, something more, something more. Faith in the fact that seekers become finders. Hallelujah. Man, I just believe God's giving you a blueprint right now of what your life could look like, shot through with his glory. He's giving you a blueprint. This is what happened to Moses. Moses went up on the mountain. And God says, go back down and build it exactly like the pattern I showed you. Some of you have been trying to live your life without a pattern. You've been trying to figure out your own life. You've been trying to build this stick figure of who you are. And God says, come on. Before one of your days came to be, I knew every one of them. Seek me and you'll find not only me, but yourself. Seek me and you'll find your deliverance. Seek me and you'll find your strength. Seek me and you'll find what you have looked for all along. Father, in the name of Jesus, touch your people today. Lord, release your glory in our lives, God. Some of you just need to come back to the Lord. These things are all reminders to you, but you've lost sight of it. You know what? It's okay. God wants us to turn back. Lord, I turn to you today. I turn to you. I lift my face up, God. I lift my face up to see the person of Jesus. You are the glory and the lifter of my head. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we can approach with unveiled faces today. We don't have to wear a mask. We don't have to put a mask on and say, I'm blessed. Everything's fine when everything's not fine. But Lord, we can approach the throne and the veil is taken away. Father, bless your people today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.